Now today, I want to continue along in our study of the New Testament. Um, we're going to be Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Uh, and I've titled today's message, Signs of the Times. I want to do two things. I want to continue on with what we've been doing, but I also am going to take some time today to, uh, because the, the section of Scripture that we're in allows it, and we're going to step aside a little bit. We're going to deal a tiny bit with what's going on in Israel right now from a prophetic standpoint. And hopefully, don't worry, this is not a political message. We're not going to get there. Uh, what I want to do, hopefully, is provide some clarity and maybe a little bit of foundation and grounding. I hear a lot of conversations about this, especially online. It's, it's to the point where it, I, I've heard this a hundred different times over the years. I'm sure many of you who've been around a little longer have heard the same thing. You know, the end is near, all this, all this stuff. And uh, I'd like to, to maybe ground us a little bit with some, some deeper understanding of this, hopefully, um, but we'll see, what, uh, we'll see what happens. But first, let's jump into this section of Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. It starts like this. It says, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and tested him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered, uh, answered to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather, for the sky is red and threatening. You hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. This is one of the only times, I think it's either one of the only times or the only time in the New Testament Jesus uses the phrase, the signs of the times. And it's debated by some scholars whether or not it was there in the, in the older manuscripts. But either way, there it is. So we have to deal with it. Let me ask you a question as we move into this. Have you ever believed something so strongly that even if evidence to the contrary was staring you in the face, you're unwilling to believe you could have been wrong? You're, you're right there. You, you've known this your whole life. I've always heard this. I've always believed this. It has to happen this way. And then evidence to the contrary is literally staring you in the face and you're unwilling to believe that you could be wrong and somebody else could be right. I'm sure if Jay ever walked over to the car with the radar gun and said, see, people would go, I wasn't speeding. That's just kind of how we are. This is kind of what's going on with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are the ruling elite of the day. They're the ones with all the control in Israel. They can make your life heaven and they can make your life hell. And they're the ones that are convinced that they have everything right. And in verse 1, it says, The Sadducees came and tested him and asked him they would sh he would show them a sign from heaven. Okay, now think about this. These were the experts. They were the theological elite among the nation. No one questioned their understanding of the word of God because there was no way to question it. They were so smart. They knew they were so, so, so learned. They had spent their whole life dealing with this material. Why would you question people that were so obviously true? Everybody else has to be wrong. They have to be right. <clears throat> the problem is And 
that they, along with others, made one mistake. They had it in their head that they had studied the mystery out of the scriptures. What was mysterious to somebody else, they had gone past it. Their intellectual superiority was you know, surpassed by none. They knew it all. They understood all the prophecies. They knew everything that was going to happen. There were no mysteries left in the scripture. Now all God had to do was show up in the way that they had predetermined that he would show up. They were so convinced that they knew everything there was to know about God, his character, about the Messiah, how he would arrive, what kind of person he would be, what he would do, how he would talk, the people that he would associate with, that they blinded themselves to the truth of God. They became so heavenly-minded they were of no earthly good. And that is something that can happen, folks. They were watching. Remember, the nation of Israel was watching. Their their whole existence was watching for the Messiah. They were just waiting for God, their king to show up. They had told all the nations around them, our king will show up, and when he does, he's bigger than your king, and he's going to kick your king's butt. These were a conquered people, and they were telling everyone who had conquered them over and over again, oh, yeah, well, you just wait. And then nothing would happen. So they were waiting and they were waiting, but they were not waiting for God to fulfill his prophecy. They were waiting for a very specific type of person. They were waiting for their view of what the Messiah would be when he showed up. So when they ask the phrase, show us a sign from heaven, I want you to think about this. What do you think they were asking for? Were they asking for Jesus to, I don't know, feed thousands of people with a couple of fish and some bread, a couple of rolls, you know, a can of sardines? Were they asking him to speak to the possessed and force the demon out? Was they asking him to make the blind see, the lame walk, and the infirm well? Was, was that what they were asking? Because they had already known full well that he had done all of those things multiple times over. They weren't looking for simply, hey, make this person well and then I'll believe you. They're asking for something specific. There's basically what they're saying in this. They're saying, we want you to do something so amazing, so outlandish, so ridiculously powerful that no one would ever question that you're the Messiah ever. That's what they're asking for. And Jesus basically says, no. Nah. I don't, I don't, I don't need to do that. They're saying to the Messiah, They're saying to Jesus, prove to me on my terms that you are who you say you are. You see the issue there? Prove to me on my terms that you are the Messiah. Because everything that God has written about you through the Holy Scriptures, all the prophecies that your life has fulfilled, all the miracles and signs and wonders that we're seeing in your life are not enough for me, because I have already decided who the Messiah would be, and you don't look like him. You don't look like the, you don't look like the guy in any of the movies. I've watched The Chosen, and you don't, you don't, you don't, it's, you're different. 
I've watched the old Jesus of Nazareth and you talk way too fast. That guy talked much slower. I don't think you're, this, I don't think you're the guy that we're looking for because you're not who I had already decided would come. But these are men of faith. <clears throat> we look down on the Pharisees and Sadducees, but I want you to understand something. These are men who basically turned off a secular life and spent their entire existence learning and seeking and praying and serving God. These were not unfaithful men. They were men who believed the wrong thing, and that's what made them arrogant. That's what made them blind. It wasn't a lack of faith. It was that their faith was misplaced. Their faith was in not only the Holy Scriptures, but it was in their understanding of the Holy Scriptures. God was now limited to what they believed. There's a lot of denominations today that exist the same way. If you don't believe like them, you're not even a believer. Now, the truth of the matter is, there is a lot in the Scriptures that we can understand and we can understand with absolute clarity because the Scriptures are completely clear on them. There's no ambiguity. It says the same thing in multiple places. There, it's, it's, there's, there, there's no gray area there. There's, there's tons of stuff that we can learn with absolute confidence. But humility demands that we recognize the fact that there are some things that you do not know with absolute certainty. Because Scripture is not absolutely clear on it. It gives us a guide and then what we know about the character and nature of God, <clears throat> we apply that to the understanding so that we are consistent with our faith. But there are some things you're just not going to know. What does heaven look like? Well, it's described in Scripture, but you know that most of the time where it's described in Scripture, in another place where it's described, it's not described the same way? There's one consistent thing when we're dealing with pictures of heaven the throne of God. But what's happening around it and the way things look around it, they're different every single time. So can you say with absolute certainty that God, this is what heaven's going to look like because according to the Bible, God remodels. Can you say with absolute certainty you know what all the prophecies apply to? How they'll be fulfilled? Because the only prophecies left for us are the ones of the end times. Can you say with absolute certainty that your version of it is correct? Or are you willing to be wrong if God says so? Now, a couple of years ago, I was talking about end times prophecy. Here we did a little study. We'll get to it again. In Matthew, we're going to get to it again, so don't worry about it. But I made, I made a, a statement at that time, and there were a few people who kind of lost their mind. And that statement basically was this. I don't believe in the rapture or the tribulation. I don't think scripture supports it. People are like, oh my gosh! He needs to read the books. He needs to read the left, because that's what's going to happen. Of course, that's exactly what's going to happen. Kirk Cameron is going to save the world. But here's the thing. I'm willing to be wrong. Because here's one of the things the scripture says. You don't know. When you get to the end, no one knows. 
So we study and we do our best, but there's views. Do you know that there's almost like 50 views of the end times, but the only ones that we know about are the ones that the church pushes constantly? That's the tribulation and the, and, and the rapture. And then you get different arguments. Are you going to be raptured before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulations, or after the tribulation? And the post-tribs can't handle the, 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 the pre-tribs, and the pre-tribs think the post-tribs are out of their mind, and the mid-tribs are just like, why can't, can't we all just get along? But here's the thing, we're probably all wrong. Because we don't know what prophecy is going to what prophecy is going to do until it happens. Prophecy is only truly understood in reverse. Looking back on it. I'm sure all of the uh, of the religious leaders when they came to Christ because a lot of religious leaders came to Christ during during the ministries of of the disciples and Paul, I'm sure when they looked back they were like, "Oh my gosh, it was right in front of me the whole time." I didn't see it. Why didn't I see it? Why? Because I was sold on this view. And, be, and that blinded me to what was going on right in front of me. There's a lot of times where we are just as arrogant as the Pharisees with our own views. Last week, I was having a conversation with a guy online. <clears throat> about uh, a comment I made on a post, and it was a, I, it was actually, I was actually thanking the guy who put a video up for the work that he's doing, and this guy like came after me from eight months ago. He just happened to see it and decided he needed, he, he needed to let me know that I was a heretic and a bad pastor. You want to know why? Because I believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for, still for today. That was it. That's all it took. Because I held to that, but he didn't care what I believed about salvation, forgiveness of sin, grace, faith, atonement, none of it. Couldn't care less. All he knew was that I believe the gifts of the Spirit were for today, therefore I am a heretic and a bad pastor. Wow. That, that, that's all it took. Wow, that's, that, that's pretty good. The problem is not <clears throat> that people have opposing views. I know at some point in time, someone's going to look at me and go, Pastor, I, I believe in the tribulation and the rapture. Great! Man, that's fantastic. It doesn't matter. What matters is whether or not you are elevating your views up to the place where they are now necessary for salvation. You understand? It's not that these people have differing views. It's that their views are now equal to faith in Christ because if you have faith in Christ and you do not believe the way that I believe about this topic or that topic or another topic, you're not a real believer because if you were a real believer, you'd agree with me. That is the height of arrogance. That is a Pharisee and a Sadducee. If you were really the Messiah, you would do what I know that you would be doing. But instead, you just think you're the son of God and you can do whatever you want. Guess what? He is the son of God and he can do whatever he wants. As Christians, we need to know everything that we can know. But then we need to let God be God. So they ask Jesus for the sign and Jesus says, I don't think so. But he kind of ridicules him at the same time. He says this. <clears throat> he says, he answered to them and said, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather and, uh, with the red sky, and in the morning it will be foul weather because the sky is red and threatening. You hypocrites. You can predict the weather, but you can't see the signs of the times. 
<clears throat> in short, what Jesus is saying is, I don't have to prove a thing to you. All that you should need to believe has already been done, but you refuse to see it. Paul even writes about it in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Even Paul is saying, if you just look around at the world around you, and the complexity of life by itself, we know a lot more than they did now. And there's this process called irreducible complexity, gen genetics and epigenetics. You start looking at the complex nature of life, there's only one, one result that you can come to, conclusion you can come to, that we are the product of a design. There's too many things that have to happen. The, the, even the universe itself is so balanced for life. This can't be an accident. And Paul is saying, if you just look, you are without excuse, but you don't look, and you don't look because you don't want to glorify God, and you don't want to glorify God because you don't want to worship God, so your mind has been darkened. Jesus says, you think you're experts, you, you predict the weather, but you can't see the Messiah standing in front of you. I mean, you think about this. They're doubting the fulfillment of the word of God when that fulfillment is literally standing in front of them. And they've watched him do multiple miracles. All they needed to do was go back and read, and it would have been clear what they were seeing, but they didn't want to because he didn't match up to what they believed would happen. And this is a warning for all of us. Jesus is showing them something we all need to understand, that our spiritual arrogance can blind us to the workings of the Spirit. Can I say that again? It is very possible for our spiritual arrogance to blind us to the workings of the Spirit. We can become so convinced that God only works this way that we completely miss the hand of God working in a different way because we've limited God to our understanding. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees were blind to the reality of Christ. They couldn't see because it didn't line up with their preconceived ideas about God. And this is where I want to take a little bit of a turn, okay? <clears throat> you start thinking about the things that are going on in Israel. All over the internet... Stuff is blowing up. Everyone is screaming, the end is near. The end is near. All we're missing is a bunch of people wearing little pancake signs and walking the street. The end is near. And I'm sure somewhere that's happening. Now, if you're one of those people, don't turn off your ears. Listen. And let's explore this a little bit. So let's answer the first, the, the first obvious question here. Do I believe that we are living in the end times? I believe we could be. I believe we could be. That's the best answer I can give you. And the reason I say I believe we could be is because every generation for the last 2,000 years has believed that they were living in the end times. And guess what? They're all wrong. Every single one of them were wrong. Do I believe we are? I believe we could be. 
are the things that are happening in Israel right now from a prophetic viewpoint, are they lining up with what Scripture says should be happening towards the end? Yes. Yes, they are. And they continue to. However, I'd like to remind you about something with Israel over the last 70 years, okay? This is not the first time prophecy has begun to line up with the nation of Israel. Let me give you a couple of examples. 1948, when Israel was recognized as a nation, that's when things really started happening because the big sign of uh, uh, of the end times was Israel being gathered together as a nation. 1948, that happened. Everyone said, the end is near. That was 1948. 1956, the Sinai War. Multiple nations gathered against Israel. The end is near. Here it is. Gog and Magog has revealed themselves. Guess what? Nothing happened. 1967, during the Six-Day War. The end is near. Nothing happened. 1973, the Yom Kippur War. The end is near. Nothing happened. 1982, the Lebanon War. The end is near. Nothing happened. 1987, the first intifada, nothing happened. 2000, the second intifada, nothing happened. 2012 and 2014, the big Gaza conflicts, nothing happened. 2021, the Gaza riots, nothing happened. These were all times where every prophet from around the world was saying, God has spoken to me, the end is here, prepare, this is, this is happening, this is so fantastic, can't wait to see what happens. Nothing happened. Here we are in 2023, another Israeli-Hamas conflict. Surprise, surprise, they hate each other's guts. The Islamic nations from all around the area have basically made a pact. They would love to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. That's their words, not mine. This is not a surprise. And folks, I left a bunch of events out. Just over the last 70 years since Israel's been recognized in a nation, it has been a litany of things happening in every single time. The prophets from around the world, this is what's going on. They say, this is the fulfillment that was written in such and such. God has spoken to me about this and that. And I want to remind you that today, when you go online and you hear these same prophets talking about what God has spoken to them and how powerful this is and how you need to get ready, these are the same guys who said Trump was going to win the last election. Oh, by the way, these are the same people who didn't predict the conflict to begin with. These are the same people who have been wrong over and over and over and over again. Yet people go, they're going to get it right this time. If I take 50 darts and put them in my hand and I throw them at a dartboard at about two feet away, I will probably get one of them in the middle. Probably. You make enough guesses, eventually one will get right. When these things happen, this is the only issue that I have. And like I said, this could very easily be what Scripture has foretold. It could be. But I'm going to remain skeptical. Because even if it is, my job hasn't changed. My job has actually gotten more important. We'll get to that in a minute. 
When these things happen, people from around the world begin to talk about what will happen next, who Gog and Magog are. If you want to listen to a really good end time series, probably one of the best and most balanced teachers that I've seen lately, it's Greg Laurie. Go to his website. He is humble enough to say, here's a view, here's another view, here's my view. We're probably all wrong, but here's some here's the different ways of seeing it. I love, I appreciate that tremendously. You can go to his website, you can listen to the whole thing. It's actually quite long. He does a really good job going through it. And he makes some great points. I've actually heard people talking about, some of you will remember this, some people talking about making rapture videos. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Rapture videos got really popular in the 80s and 90s because the idea was when you were raptured and taken up into heaven, the people left behind might not know what happened. So you leave a video letting them know what happened. It wasn't aliens. God took us. Here's what's going to happen. According to all the books, watch out for a guy named Nikolai. People, People are doing this now. After all the rhetoric, if nothing happens, what do you think the church, and more importantly, the gospel message, looks like to the unbelieving world when we're screaming the end is is near, and really, it's just another military conflict that's going to draw a bunch of countries in, and it's not the end? Because if history tells us anything, that's more than likely what we're headed towards. Could it be? Sure. Statistically? Governmentally? Militarily? Probably not. We look like fools, and we have over and over and over again. I have watched more people leave the church in the last 20 years because of failed prophecies of the end. They get sick of the promises that never happen. They get sick of being told by these, by these men who think they're these mighty representations of God that this is going to happen, this is going to happen. God spoke to me, and then it doesn't happen. And people start looking at at, at these people and saying, you know, if this is what you think, if this is what I'm supposed to believe, I am no different than anybody else. Because this is just one lie after another. It's, It's damaging to the purpose that we have. And the purpose that we have is not to bring a message the end is near. The purpose that we have is to bring a message that Jesus loves you, that your sins can be forgiven, that you can be made whole, that, 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 that there, has been, there is restoration available to you. Just put your faith in Christ and follow after him. That's the goal. The rest of it is just interesting conversation because it, here's the deal. At the end, when the end happens, guess what's going to happen? The end and that's it. God isn't going to send every Christian in the world a text message, get ready. That would be cool. There are literally hundreds of predictions of the end times. I have an entire volume of just end times predictions and very short summaries of what they are. And I'm not talking a small book. I'm talking a monstrous book. It's just about end times theories. Some of them aren't supposed to happen 
I think the oldest one that I know of is, is uh, 2,000, uh, 2,238. That, the year, 2,238. I don't know if you realize that, but we ain't there. And the hundreds of end times prophecies that have existed from year zero to now, guess what? They were all wrong. Matthew 24, verse 36 <coughs> says, But the day and the hour no one knows, even, uh, not even the angels in heaven, but of my Father only. And as you read through the rest of this, he says, It will be like in the days of Noah. When the end happens, it will be like in the days of Noah. People will be eating and drinking, they will be marrying and having families, and then, boom, the end is here. That's it. Life will go on, and it will go on until God says no. And in the days of Noah, there were people, there were, there were what, eight people in the boat? And it says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So he was preaching to people that God can save you, that God can spare you. If you look at the dimensions of the ark, uh, Answers in Genesis has actually done the study on this. There was room for about another hundred people on the ark. And we're imagining Noah standing at the doorway going, you, you can be saved. You don't, this doesn't have to happen. Get on the boat. And then what happened at the end? Did Noah, when Noah shut the door, right? No. God shut the door. Just as in the days of Noah, when God shuts the door, there are only two types of people left on the earth. Those that are inside the boat and safe from judgment and those that are outside the boat with only judgment remaining. And it doesn't matter how much you plead, the door is closed. That's it. Mark 13, 32 uh, it says, but the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels, nor the, uh, uh, nor the son, but only the father. Here he talks about the master going on a trip. When you read through the rest of it, the master going on a trip leaves the servant in charge of his estate. Think of the picture. The master goes away on a trip and leaves his servants to take care of his business. That's us, folks. And he says, when the master returns, is he going to catch you napping? So you're going to catch you working. In essence, what he's saying is, Jesus is coming. Look busy. All of these passages are trying to say the same thing to us. When the end happens, it will be the end. And it's not going to happen on our timetable. It's going to happen on God's timetable. And it's also going to happen without your permission. <laughs> When Jesus said this to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, you are hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Now, what a lot of people will say is, see, pastor, this is the opposite of what he's saying. Jesus is telling us here that we need to pay attention to the signs of the times, and that's what we need to be focusing on, because that's what the Pharisees missed. No, you're not, you're missing the, 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 the whole point. The whole point is that the signs of the time was it was redemption is here. Salvation is here. Today is the day of salvation. That's what the sign of the time is. God has made a way. And the Pharisees couldn't see it. The Pharisees couldn't see the fulfillment of Scripture standing right in front of them. And the fulfillment of Scripture is that there is a way for the lost to be found. 
They were looking for their sign. And today, we have far too many people trying to talk about the end times when they won't even minister salvation, the salvation of Christ to their neighbors or to their family or to their coworkers. They're too busy talking about whether or not Russia is Gog or Magog. They're too busy talking about what the final battle is going to be. They're too busy storing up food for the people who are going to be left for the tribulation. They're too busy doing things that have no eternal value. Because it's a lot easier to focus on prophecy that we're not accountable for than it is to minister the gospel, which is what the master left us in charge of. Our goal is not to get a bunch of people afraid of the end times. Our goal is to introduce people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's it. And here's the thing. I try, I, I've had this conversation multiple times, and honestly, I won't tell you the names that I get called for this, but I talk to people who have just this strong end times push, and I ask them, are you as committed to ministering to the gospel, ministering the gospel to the people around you as you are to this idea of end times? Are you doing, is your effort equal on both sides? Or is it lopsided? Because I hear you talking a lot about this, and if you really believed this, if you really believed the end was coming, you would be ministering even harder to the people around you. Because when the time's up, the time's up. I don't know about you, but I don't want the end to be now. I don't, I don't want things to end right now because I have too many people I care about who don't know Jesus. Why would I want that option to be taken from them at this point? I want all the time in the world to bring the gospel message to as many that will hear it and to as many that will, that, will, that will accept salvation through the work of Christ on the cross. That's my goal. Jesus said, it is a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And no sign shall be given except that of the prophet Jonah. Here's the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah was three days in the fish and then he ministered hope. Jesus was three days in the ground and now we minister hope. I think it's interesting that he talks about the sign of Jonah because Jonah went out and begrudgingly brought the message of hope to Nineveh. And then he went up on the mountain because he was more interested in watching it burn than he was in them being saved. And I find the same inconsistency in a lot of Christians today, they're more interested in watching the end happen than they are in getting people saved. That might be hard to hear. But our goal is to bring people to Christ. Period. The Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't see the hope of God through the fulfillment of, of, of prophecy right in front of them. Let's not make the same mistake. Let's learn all that we can about the Word of God. Let's learn all that we can about prophecy. And let's not ignore the things that are going on around us because that would be stupid too. But let's not get so distracted with the events around us that we forget about the task at hand. And the task at hand is to get those who don't believe who are around you saved. That's the task. The rest of it, Let's let God decide. I don't know, but I'm going to agree with Scripture. I think God should be the one who decides when the end is. I think that's a healthy way to look at it. Until then, 
I need to do the job for which I was called to, which is to teach the gospel, to minister salvation, to bring people to the saving knowledge of Christ. The rest of it is Bible trivia pursuit. And at the end, you might be right, but I'd be willing to bet if you counted all the things that you think are right, at the end, you're going to have a lot more that you're wrong on than you were right on. Let's keep our eyes on the goal set before us today and let God decide when the end will come. And if we really think time is running out, let's double our efforts to reach the people around us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you're doing in this place. I'm going to thank you. I want to thank you for the signs of the times. And I ask you that they would bring a sense of urgency to us, Lord. We would not get so caught up in the signs that we forget to do the work but that the signs would urge us to do the work. Father, help us to be sober-minded. Help us to be focused. And help us to be dedicated to the work set before us. Let us not make the mistake of putting, into you a bo- putting you into a box of our own reasoning. Let us instead